0: Welcome to In Focus, a discussion of current issues affecting our economy, featuring a review of the latest research and analysis from the Washington Research Council.
1: My name is Lou Moore. I'm the president of the Washington Research Council, and I have with me here today Chris Showbloom, who is our vice president for research and also our house economist, as well as Emily Makings, who is our senior research analyst. So, Chris, what's up in the economic news of late?
2: Well, the big news um, in the economy last week was the Friday report on employment. It's the monthly report uh, giving account of the number of people who are working uh, and also the unemployment rate. Um, the, uh, the news was that the uh, preliminary estimate for uh, January employment came in uh, at uh, 257,000 which was a nice surprise compared to the consensus forecast, which was a, for only 230,000. But aside from the, the good month we had for, uh, for January, um, well, there, was a, there were substantial revisions to uh, previous months. Um, the growth rate for um, December was, estimated growth rates was revised up from the 252,000 that was initially announced to 329,000, and the November growth rate was revised up from 353,000 to 423,000. And then as if that wasn't enough, uh, through the benchmarking process uh, through which the Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics goes back and, and looks at actual counts of employees that come from the unemployment insurance program. Uh, they estimated that the employment level in October was 98,000 above what they had otherwise uh, expected. So if you add it all up together, the good news on, um, on Friday was about 400,000 jobs. Um, and it, it paints a picture of a job market that's a lot stronger than we had thought it was. Uh, unemployment rate came in at 5.7%, uh, a little bit up from the 5.6% uh, in the previous month, but uh, a lot of that increase was due to more people uh, indicating that they are actually out looking for a job, which in itself is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it sort of raises the question as to what's gonna, what is the Federal Reserve Bank going to do? The um, um, quantitative easing, that was the process by which the uh, through which the uh, the Fed, month after month, was buying um, long-term Treasury bonds and also mortgage-backed securities. Has ended. They've not started unwinding that position, but they've stopped adding to the position. and And the next step on the um, for fe- for the federal monetary policy is for them to um, increase the interest rate. They they um, uh, charge for overnight reserves, the federal funds rate. It's right now just about zero, just kind of the bare minimum that, um, above zero. And uh, middle of the year, they may start to rise. When they will actually rise uh, will depend upon some other factors. One of the amazing things right now is how low long-term rates have been. Everybody thought when quantitative easing ended that uh, long-term rates would start to creep up but if you look at, for instance, mortgage rates, since mid-November, mortgage rates, 30-year mortgage rates have dropped from 4% to 3.6%, uh, as measured by the Freddie Mac survey. Suggesting that something is going on in the economy other than just monetary policy uh, affecting those rates. The second thing that's that inflation remains very low. Um, year over year, inflation measured by the Uh, deflator for personal consumption expenditures, which is the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, is only seven-tenths of a percent. Now, that includes the things that are happening at the gas pump. But when you factor out food and energy year over year, the rate is only 1.3%. The target rate the Fed has for inflation is 2%. And until inflation gets up to that level, it's hard to see them really tightening monetary policy at all. There's a lot of fear of of deflation getting in a a position where where prices were actually falling.
1: So is the fact that interest rates are not going up, does that mean that demand for loans is weak? Is that the most likely?
2: It means that the economy isn't completely healed. You know, the financial system is is still damaged People are unwilling to borrow. You know that what has been, what has been the defining factor in this recession, has been the low level of construction activity, uh, and home has has plunged down to the level we last seen in the early 1990s. There's no indication that that uh, that's going to turn around soon, um, and the housing sector just absorbed historically has, has absor- absorbed a, a large share of the uh, lendable funds that are out there. And until that comes back, things will stay, stay pretty loose, I think.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Emily, you've been keeping an eye on our health exchange in Washington State. What, what can you tell us about recent events there?
0: Well, we're in the middle of the second open enrollment period for the exchange, which is um, what's set up under the Federal Affordable Care Act. The open enrollment ends on February 15th, and so far, as of the latest enrollment report, only 44,779 have newly enrolled in private plans through the exchange, and 87,528 have renewed their coverage through the exchange. And these are they're not making their goals for this open enrollment period. Um, currently, they've hit about 53% of their goal for new enrollees and 67% of their goal for renewals. The Health Benefit Exchange Board expects a surge at the end, which is very possible, but the insurance commissioner is less encouraged by the numbers, and I thought it was telling that in around the December deadline for coverage that begins in 20, January of 2015, there was not as big of a surge. as Actually, there wasn't really a surge at all. And there was at the, during the last open enrollment period last year. Mm. So I'm skeptical that they can make their goals, but it's always possible. And uh, one other thing from this is that they, the Medicaid numbers, enrollees are unexpectedly high, they say. And this has obvious implications on the state budget because the state pays for a portion of of Medicaid costs with, the, with along with federal government.
1: Okay, so I'll have to watch and see. The, the exchange board believes that there is gonna be a big surge. Uh, Mr. Kreidler's skeptical. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Well, something I've been keeping an eye on is transportation in our state, transportation funding. Uh, we all know the uh, price of gas is a lot lower than it's been for quite some time. Last year, Washington Roundtable uh, funded a a study from the Boston Consulting Group about what needed to happen to fix transportation in our state, and one of the things they recommended was an 11.5 cent gas tax increase. We're now hearing rumors that a gas tax increase of about that size is being seriously discussed by the folks that can make it happen in Olympia. And so I wanted to just call attention to that and also call attention to a couple of the numbers that came out of this Boston Consulting Group study about uh, maintenance. New projects always seem to get more attention than maintenance when we talk about uh, roads and bridges. But not fixing roads and bridges in a timely manner can be very, very expensive. And uh, in this study, they said that Uh, By 2026, if there wasn't an intervention, that there would uh, be 60% of our roads and bridges would be uh, poor or very poor. And uh, the the cost to fix uh, fix those issues goes up every year to the point that it would be over $5 billion a year in costs to the state, to drivers, as well as to the state uh, having to uh, reconstruct a lot of these structures if this maintenance is not kept up. While only 3 billion or 3.4 billion would be needed to completely eliminate this entire backlog of maintenance in both roads and bridges and bring everything up to a good or at least fair standard. And a couple of other statistics that are pretty interesting. Um, The Federal Highway Administration has said that there's uh, over a thousand bridges, actually 1,624 bridges in this state according to a survey they did in 2009, that are functionally obsolescent. And if you remember, the bridge uh, that uh, went down in Skagit County was maintained. It was inspected, but it was functionally obsolescent, and it couldn't tolerate uh, a uh, truck going across it that was too tall in profile, and it took the whole bridge down. And uh, there's a lot of other bridges that have that vulnerability, as does that one, because when they rebuilt it, they didn't have the funds to build it with a different design, so it was rebuilt with the very same design that was used before. So uh, we have an issue with bridges, and the American Society of Civil Engineers says that 372 of our bridges are, in fact, in poor condition, And are deteriorating or are damaged. Uh, So I'm very much hoping that as they come uh, together in Olympia and fund some form of transportation package that they don't uh, look past maintenance because uh, we've got a huge backlog that's going to get a lot bigger in years to come. Chris?
2: Another thing that that (coughs) caught my eye is a, a report that was prepared for the Washington Climate Collaborative Uh, of uh, Governor Inslee's cap-and-trade proposal. The the report was prepared by a a consultancy based in Salt Lake City um, called Energy Strategies, LLC. They point out uh, one important thing, and and that is that we are on a path to meet or nearly meet the goals that have been set in statute uh, for carbon emission reductions for the year 2020. In fact, we will we'll probably go well past that by 2021, when the first of the uh, centralia plants is shut down, coal plants is shut down. But but there were a long ways away, that we'd, hard to see how with, uh, we're going to meet the uh, goals uh, for uh, 2035 or 2050 in statute, without some sort of a, of a major policy push. Um, they've done an analysis of the economic impact of the, um, of the Inslee cap and trade proposal and, and find it costing the economy, uh, Washington State economy, about 42,500 jobs initially in 2016 when it's phased to come in, uh, with the job losses rising over time to uh, 75,300 uh, in 2035, the end of the horizon they're modeling. You know, I, I think looking at that, I've, 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 we have yet to go over the the study carefully, so I can't really evaluate it. But that's something I'll be uh, on my work plan for the upcoming weeks.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we, we we wanted to drill down into this whole notion of carbon taxation and various yes. policies that would those are carbon usage.
2: Yeah, these are these are you know kind of on the on the legislative agenda for this year because the governor has put forward a bill. My sense is that there's that's really not going to be much action on this, but there will be discussion. Then uh, there's likely to be a carbon tax initiative circulating later this year, actually, mm-hmm. and, then, and then going as an uh, initiative to the legislature next year and then onto the ballot in November 2016. So this is an issue that will be coming back again and again. And, and even if it, nothing happens in this state, Cap and trade and or carbon taxes are going to be an issue nationally, so it's it's good to get to delve into them and get an understanding of what's involved with such policies.
1: Absolutely, so. All right, thank you very much. Well, Emily, you did a uh, you were lead staffer on a policy brief that had to do with uh, higher ed and the state budget, mm-hmm. and uh, you were going to give us a little bit more information uh, from that research today. So,
0: right last time we talked a little bit about tuition and the GET program but we thought we'd talk about the budget more today. It, um, in the state operating budget, higher ed makes up about 9.2% of it, of spending. And that's down from 11% in 2007-09. And one of the reasons the percentage has decreased so much is that spending on higher education is discretionary. Spending on programs like uh, K-12 is largely mandatory and so it's um, very difficult to cut when there's, a, when there's a downturn. But that's not the case with higher education. It's very easy to cut. And so since the spending height in 2007-2009, spending on higher education was cut by $473.9 million. That's a 13.4% reduction. Meanwhile, K-12 was increased by 15% over that period and um, human services were decreased by 0.4%, and all other areas of the budget were decreased by 7.1%. So higher ed bore the brunt, really, of percentage-wise in the, of the state spending reductions.
1: That's a significant group of statistics. Would you go over that one more time just to make yes. sure people digest so, that?
0: So the, since 2007-09, spending on higher education was cut by 13.4%. Spending on K through 12 education was increased by 15%. Spending on human services decreased by 0.4%. And spending on all other areas of the budget decreased by 7.1%. Okay,
1: so more than twice uh, the the rate of reduction for any of the other
2: Mm -hmm.
1: agencies interesting and we've touched on this before uh, the legislature at least has suspended the ability of the university to uh, raise revenues through higher tuition
0: right so therein lies the, lies the issue for this for the legislature during the session this year
1: yeah, it's a struggle everybody recognizes that we need to invest in education and uh, and that, that we're not doing all that we should do in that field but how do we stand it all up at the same time in an effective way uh, for our economy and our children's future. It's a, it's a difficult topic, and uh, the initiatives have provided an impetus for K-12, through 12, but uh, it's ironic that it's higher ed that's yeah. in some ways uh, paying for that. So, All right. Well, thank you, Emily. My name is Lou Moore, and I'm here with Chris Showbloom and Emily Makings. We're all staffers at the Washington Research Council. And thank you for listening.
0: In Focus is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. Your tax deductible investment allows our work to continue. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.